Hey. Hello. How Hi, is everybody? Uh, well, I'm okay. I don't know how everybody's doing. Uh, you're included in everybody. So how are you? Why aren't you beside me today? I am super sad, but I'm uh, I'm not very mobile at the moment. I uh, had a little bit of a mishap and uh, broke my knee. You know, I... <laughs> Um, I understand that tragedy at a visceral level because I break everything, right? I, I've broken my ankle. I broke my arm. I've broken my neck basically twice. Um, Your spine <laughs> has some things. Yeah, my spine, heart, all the things. And so I get it. Um, not your heart. Not your heart. It's okay. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the uh, most resilient of the body parts. So. Um, it's all about the repairing it back together too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It gets like any muscle, journey. Uh, you tear it, you have to tear it apart for it to get stronger and grow. So, yeah, well, in is. this case, it's a bone that decided that it wanted to get uh, shattered into three different pieces. So, so we're going to be. Patella is now patellas. Patellas. Yeah. It's a. Patellas. <laughs> it's like Chiquita bananas. <laughs> yeah, uh, multiple yep, yep. patellas. It's a bunch of knees. It's a bunch of knees. Oh, they said the, the good knees. news is it's the it's the left, not the right. <laughs> I, yeah, I I understand that too because when I broke my ankle, I broke my what did I break? My left or right ankle? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. There. Last summer, I broke my left ankle, and now this is the. But I waited seven months before, like, I really seven weeks before I went to the doctor. Not seven months, seven weeks. So I didn't think it was broken. This one, I thought, eh, I'm gonna go the next day because I I want to learn that lesson the first time um, and not wait so long. Because by the time I got to the doctor, they were like, there's not a whole lot we can do for you other than to tell you you can't wear pretty shoes for a long time. And you're going to have to be in a, you know, an ankle brace and, and wear flats. So I went the next day and they told me it's fractured. And the only way to get it fixed is to have surgery because every time I go to bend my knee, it's just going to re-break itself and make it worse. So Yeah. There's that. So, guys, in Arizona, it doesn't rain very often. When it does, people don't know how to walk. Our shoes don't work on sidewalks. People don't drive that good. Clearly, I didn't walk that good. And uh... <laughs> I, lo I love, I love Justine's comment. She's like, I love white folks. <laughs> like, I, don't know. I don't know if like breaking your knees is just necessarily a white thing. Maybe. I mean, uh, I don't know. But lots of lots of non-white people break their knees. Um, I, I haven't broken my knee yet though. So maybe, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but, um, in any event, uh, it's wonderful to see you again. I'm also sad that you're not with us today, but I'm, um, I'm super happy uh, that we're here today because title talk guys is my favorite show of the week where we talk about all of the fun things that are happening in our industry trends, you know, what we're seeing in the data. Uh, and also to interact with the audience to see how you guys are doing in your real estate investment businesses and what things y'all are going are seeing in the marketplace. So, um, again, if you guys have any questions that whether they be deal related, title related, uh, there's a lot of ways to get tripped up in a transaction. <laughs> in the of a transaction. 
and breaking news. Are we going to talk about all the things that trip us up today? I'm gonna, I am going to um, uh, try and break the record of how many uh, different <laughs> references I can make to um, broken you know, things. Getting, getting down on our knees and asking for. Uh, <laughs> okay, I think we've got three so far. Bobby, are you going to getting down on our knees us? and asking for asking God for a break? Oh yes. Well, yeah, he's, he's, he's keeping count. Uh, yeah, guys, this is the da- this is the dad joke episode, and uh, uh, <laughs> we are we are coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, happy to be here. So, um, for those of you that don't know, I was just in Canada, and I do want to um, shout out just some of the differences between investing uh, internationally, right? Oh, I love this question from Josh. We'll get to that. We'll get to that real quick. Um, in Canada, you know, one of the things that they have, uh, that one of the things that they do there that we don't do here in the United States, which I think makes investing in the United States so much better than investing in Canada. In Canada, you can get a 30-year mortgage, but your rate only locks for five years. Wow. And so all and then of is it fully people, adjustable? 100%. So every mortgage in Canada is basically an adjustable rate mortgage within five years. They're going to or in in five years, your rate is now up for renewal and they're going to put you at market rate. And, you know, that's one of the things that doesn't happen here in the United States It's why we're experiencing the real estate market that we're experiencing right now in this climate of high interest rates. We've got a lack of inventory. You know, Dina, you sent me a slide earlier today and I wanted to highlight it because um, if we if we take a look at inventory, we still have dangerously low inventory levels, right? And so, um, uh, right now, it says that where where are we at right now, um, uh, Dina? In terms I'm of I'm gonna pull it up too as we speak. So we were talking about the U.S. foreclosure activity, right? Um, yes. And it, how it's dangerously. Um, you know, people talk about foreclosure levels and things like that. It's low. Um, and it's still below pre-pandemic levels. Uh, and that was a slide that I got today from from Adam Data. And actually, the reason that spurred the conversation, I was on a webinar earlier, and we were talking about how rates had t- ticked up. And so what becomes attractive is, you know, buying down points to purchase, you know, a cheaper rate given that we think in the next year or two rates will, you know, go down again. And um yes, and 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 uh, I want to just it, Justine said dangerously low. Yeah, I here's why I think it's dangerously low and thanks for calling that out. I I believe it's dangerously low. <laughs> that because, counts as number 4, danger, yeah. danger. Yep. Yeah. Yep, dangerously low, like Dina's knee was to the ground. Um, <laughs> well, just like her knee, uh, when 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 you have inventory levels that low, things can break. Um, and and you know, essentially, why we haven't seen this uh, a decrease in in real estate values? Which, guys, come on! If I was a betting person, right? If I if I was in Vegas and they were saying when rates started creeping up and then spiking the way that they did, if somebody was to ask me, hey, if interest rates get to 8%, what's going to happen in the market? And if I had to bet that prices were going to drop 
dramatically. I would have put that bet. I would have bet half a million dollars on that, on on prices dropping significantly, and I would have lost the half a million dollars because that's not what happened. And 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 it's so it's this artificial prop, and and it's making inventory low uh, because of this artificial prop. Now, here's what's interesting: those cheap rates that Canadians experienced in 2020, which we experienced here in the United States and into 2021, where nearly 70% of U.S. households either refinanced or bought a new home, and so that they are. 70% of U.S. households have a rate uh, between 2 to 4% uh, interest, meaning that there's only – and those people right now aren't really interested in selling unless there's a forced reason. Everybody else, the other 30% that don't have those you know, great rates or maybe own their house out, outright and would be cash buyers for their next property, yes, they're trading, but that's a small amount of people. And that's why I think that's a, a dangerously low uh, inventory because – it makes us so vulnerable to a, a, a number of things, okay? Let's just say, for instance, rates get to 5.5 when the Fed starts finally dropping rates. Um, now, if that happens, if, if rates get to 5.5, uh, the people who have a 4% mortgage, what's the gap? 1.5%? How many of them will come and 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 bring or list their properties on the market and what will that do to pricing what will that do to demand and as the as we continue to get lower and lower and lower in interest rate what will happen to all that pent up stored inventory and i call it pent up stored inventory because the american family or the american homeowner trades homes on average every seven years is that data that you would confirm dina yeah absolutely Right. So, so do you every, want me to share one of the slides that please. I was? Um, I would love it. I would love you. If I can pull those up. So while uh, Dina's getting her slides ready, what I was trying to um, explain is that as we, as we have changes in variability or in changes in in, in um, uh, different variables in the market. When we have all this pent-up uh, inventory, small fluctuations, small changes create mass movement. And that, to me, is the danger. And that's why I think we've got dangerously low inventory, because if we get a flood of inventory, what's that going to do the market? I like it when things are steady. I like when a market steadily declines, or I like it when a market steadily increases, or I like it when a market is steadily flat because steady is bankable. Steady is predictable. Steady means if I know what's going on, I know where to put my money because I can bet on what the outcome is going to be in six months. When we're in circumstances like this, holding becomes a little bit arduous, right? And, and it flipping becomes a little bit more um, variable. It becomes a little bit more risky. Uh, and so just all of these different factors, I think for me as a real estate investor, I want to eliminate as and or de-risk myself as much as possible. And understanding at least these variables is is extremely important to make good decisions moving forward in um, the market. Now, there was a question here about double escrows. Bobby, if you would put it on, I would be amazing. There we go, Josh. Josh. Uh, is it Weezer or Wiser? What would you think, Bobby? Who's the? Is it, I think it's Wiser. Wiser. Josh Wiser. 
It's, that's a wise name. My title company says double closes in escrow are illegal. I was under the impression it isn't for Wisconsin. Is there something we can clarify with them going forward? So, Josh, let me explain to you what your title or your escrow officer, your title company is doing. They are telling you lies. <laughs> Flat out lies. Okay. Double escrows are not illegal. Double, double escrows are legal in every state in the United States. Okay. Legal. It is absolutely legal to do pass-through funding as long as disclosures are made to the parties that funds are being used from one escrow to close another escrow. It's completely legal. Now, when a title company says that, it's because they don't know how to do it or that they are so removed from investor files that they um, right, they just don't know how to do it. They just don't know how to do it or they don't know how to explain it or they don't understand. They, ha they don't have enough um, uh, experience in that uh, transaction style to be helpful to you. So instead of saying to you, Josh, as a wise man, why don't you just go to another title company for this type of transaction? Instead of giving you the honest answer, which would lead you to a different vendor, they lie. They lie. Which is unfortunate. Like, it, I mean, it should just, it's, that shouldn't be the case. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's absolutely, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous that that title company would say that. I mean, it's, it, uh, in my opinion, I think when people, you know, misinform, especially in the, in the, when you are representative of a, a like a trend, uh, you know, being able to make a transaction happen as a title company, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're throwing around words like illegality, which are, look at this dog. That, that should be illegal. What he's doing right now, in my, sitting on my couch, no, it shouldn't. He's so cute. He's illegally cute. He's so but cute. It's, it, is, it is absolutely not okay for them to misinform the public about how uh, what the legalities of a transaction are. Because what if it was your seller, Josh? who called the title company to ask how, because you're intending to close the deal using a double escrow. But if your seller called a title company and they said, what this person is trying to do is illegal, what would that do to your reputation? What would that do it to the rapport that garbage. you built with your seller? What would that do with your reputation with trying to do business in that regard, right? It would be destroyed. It would absolutely destroy your reputation. It would destroy your credibility with the seller. All of the time, money, and energy that you spent trying to get that lead under contract would be for waste. Why? On a lie. And so here's my opinion, Josh. I think that now that you understand that you're dealing with an absolute BS title company that doesn't know what they're talking about, it's your responsibility to work with one that does. Now, I don't. I know for for sure that Fidelity Title is in Wisconsin. Uh, I don't know any of the title company, uh, title officers or escrow officers at in Wisconsin that can help you, but I know Dina can. So, Dina, how would they reach out to you in order to be connected to a Fidelity Title in Wisconsin? In Wisconsin. So um, I love Wisconsin people. They're usually so friendly. All my, all our neighbors are Wisconsin folks and they're super friendly and very nice. I'm um, just email title talk at FNF.com. And oh. I will tell you, we don't have title companies in every single market, but we do have them in a lot. And if I know somebody there that can help you, I'm absolutely happy to. Yes. And um, just so you, just for added clarity here, uh, one of my Keegley franchises from Wisconsin. Okay. <laughs> happens to be a U.S. Marshal. Okay. Ooh, he, but his, he wears a badge. He wears a. He, he's actually one of the guys that does fugitive apprehensions. So when 
when there's bad guys on the loose and they're like playing duck duck goose or hide the kneecap oh, um bad boys bad boys yeah yeah be? yeah exactly. <laughs> when, when when um when uh when that happens uh he's the guy that they call to go and 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 catch the bad guy we all and need we, one of those guys in our corner absolutely and guess what he does in wisconsin double escrows so do you oh. think that a U.S. Marshal on the fugitive apprehension team would be doing anything that was illegal? Just saying. Um, so it's really important that everybody who's watching this right now vet your vendors. Vet your vendors, guys. It, it's so important that you're not dealing with BS people that are just say, giving you, like, misinformation because they have a lack of knowledge in something. When somebody asks me a question that I don't have the answer to, I don't answer illegal. <laughs> I say I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm for you know what? I just don't know the answer to that. I'm happy to find out for you. Or if I do know, but I don't want, you know, I, I maybe I don't want to tell you because I don't want you, I don't want to lose your business. I would say, unfortunately, we don't do that type of transaction. I'm not going to forward you to where you could do that kind of transaction. I would just tell you, unfortunately, we don't do that kind of transaction. Now, if you want to go and find somebody who does, it's your call. But I think it's important that we uphold a level of integrity and information that we share with people, especially when we're doing this as a business. And title companies have that level of ethics that they have to hold, which is, again, why I'm so vocal about my relationship with Fidelity National Title. Because well, we're a third party, right? We're yeah, the neutral. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's and so it's, funny. Like, early on, like, I feel like... Uh, there's a lesson I, I got early into school, which was, you know, if you don't know the answer, it doesn't make you stupid. Um, but what happens is sometimes people feel like they have to give you something if even if they don't know the answer. Um, but that actually isn't the right approach, right? It's like, go find out the answer. It's okay to say you don't have the answer. It's okay to use your resources. It's okay to leverage the other people around you to ask a question. I ask you questions all the time. I'm like, hey, you know, do you think I'm using the right approach for this or hey would you do this differently or you know what do you think about this it's like leverage your resources you are not expected to have all the answers when it comes to this stuff so it baffles my mind when people think that they're doing you any favors by just sending you down a rabbit hole like saying it's illegal um because they it's don't lazy. actually know the answer it's so lazy isn't it as well i mm -hmm. think it's i think it's just super lazy of that escrow officer to do that and and this is becoming, a, you know, an episode of, of Bash the Officer, um, like it's Dina's knee. But this is <laughs> not... Put them pump. Oh, maybe we should do my surgery live on Title Talk and, and we could open up open up all kinds of jokes for that. <laughs> well, I, would, I would do a live commentary of it. Let's get to this. Um, oh, Josh Weiser, again, with an incredible question and a plug for me. Also, is it better to just use Jamil's cash to double close? Yes. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me, let me clarify. Let me, Explain. Let me clarify because it may or may not be to your advantage. And I'm not going to lie to you to get business uh, just because. Okay. So what's my transactional funding used for? If you're in a state where you are required to have a real estate license to wholesale, like Illinois, using transactional funding to close your A to B escrow, it 
skirts your necessity to have a real estate license because you're no longer wholesaling the property. You are buying it, closing it, and then reselling it, even though it's the same day. And so using transactional funding in a state that requires a license or a market that requires a license, like if you're in Philadelphia, um, you have to have a wholesaler, specific wholesaler's license in order to wholesale real estate. Um, using transactional funding gets you around that requirement. Secondly, if you are working with a real estate agent or a seller who uh, is not okay with you assigning a contract, okay? So if they say no assignments and they're just absolutely, you know, not going to bend on that, um, like Dina's knee that day, then <laughs> you absolutely want to use transactional funding because now you can still close the deal and not have to, you know, um, you know, break the transaction again like the knee. Um, <laughs> Sorry, am I, am I, am I think you're up to at least a dozen. Yeah. Where are we at, Bobby? What's we're at six, only six. Six. Oh, um, okay. Here, here we go. We got to pump those numbers up. Yeah. Uh, we, we got to put a a heartbreak in the comment. If you want to hear more broken knee jokes. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's just like, it's it. So, so it's, here's the benefit of using transactional funding. If you don't need to. Like because of those reasons, but you just want to use it. It legitimizes you to your, if you have a real estate agent that you're working with right now and you're like, this agent's going to be, you know, my Monique Walker. When I use Monique Walker as a, um, a description instead of like a noun, um, I, I'm using that because she's my unicorn agent. She's the agent that I do anywhere between five and 10 deals a month with. Um, I make a tremendous amount of money with this lady. I like, she's awesome. And um, if I was, if I was first wanting to, if I, if I'm like coming into a relationship and I'm like, oh, that's a potential Monique Walker, maybe I don't necessarily want to use a double escrow mechanism in that deal because I want to show that I have access to capital, right? And so I don't want to have the real estate agent have to explain to the seller that, hey, by the way, this buyer didn't have their own funds to come to title with to close. So they're going to use their buyer's funds to fund our escrow, which just complicates the conversation altogether. And it makes you look like you're less professional. It makes you look less capitalized, even though the deal is closing, which is still kind of a weird thing. But so using transactional funding could be extremely advantageous for you. And because my transactional funding is so cheap at only 1%, you can say, okay, what's the lifetime of relationship value that this agent's going to bring me? Oh, this agent could be somebody like Monique Walker that I do five deals a month with. Okay, well, is it worth you using transactional funding one or two times where you spend 1% of the deal so that you bring actual cash to the table? That might The answer to that might be yes. Or you might be dealing with an agent that's super, super investor friendly and understands double escrows and doesn't care, then don't, right? But I think in the beginning, I think in the beginning, especially when you're just establishing building confidence like and building confidence, coming to the table with cash like that and having it close in your name is powerful. And so I would I would recommend it to people in, in that situation. It's as a as a show of strength. Now, if you guys want to know what the company's name is, it's flipcashtoday.com, flipcashtoday.com. And um happy, happy, happy to um uh, um uh, fund your next your next deal.
Another really good reason for using a mechanism like that, regardless of what market you're in, is if you think that there's somebody in the transaction that's not comfortable with whatever terms you guys have come to on your B to C or your C to D, right? Like if, if you can close your A to B contract and everybody's kosher, but you know, there's going to be a hiccup down the road on one of those other two, it may just be worth paying the 1% to not have to have a hiccup in the giddy up. I agree. I agree. Um, and so all of these things are, are, are really, you know, reasons why transactional funding is super useful. I personally, so you guys know, when I was first wholesaling, I, I actually used hard money to close a, uh, some of my A to B contracts instead of doing double escrows for the same reason, um, because I wanted to build confidence with the agent and da, 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 da. But closing in hard money was so expensive. Because mm-hmm. I had to, I had to pay a point origination, then I had to pay uh, one whole month's interest. I had to pay the lender's policy. There was just so much, so many closing costs that were associated with that that be- made that whole thing just a complete headache. And so, um, you know, again, transactional funding, super easy, inexpensive, legitimizes you in the transaction, and um, you know, it's a, uh, uh, in in my opinion. Um, uh, one of the one of the shows of strength that you can bring to the table when you're an aspiring or a brand new wholesaler. And what's it? What's a qualification of transactional funding? I mean, just out of curiosity, what's it take for somebody to qualify for that? Um, they have to a have a buyer. Uh, so they need to have a buyer that is coming to the table to close that transaction. Okay. How so, do they prove that? They we got to see the contract, and then we have to see that they've deposited earnest money. Okay. And so it needs. We to love be, it when they deposit earnest money. Yeah, <laughs> can't just be a contract to sell to a buyer with no EMD in place, and that contract has to be non-contingent before we'll fund it. So okay. there's there's just pieces that need to be there, right? So um, we need to see that your B two C is 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 con- it has no contingencies that EMD is in. And it needs to be within 72 hours of the original contract close date. If all of those things line up, check, 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 you can use transactional funding. No, what? No credit score. No. Oh, you do need a credit score of 800. <laughs> Absolutely not. Just a joke. I was, I, I, was, I, I was waiting to see if you know um, you would you would break the silence, but um, sorry, and- I knew that couldn't be true. <laughs> Unfortunately, you kneecapped me there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, has anyone told you lately that you look a lot like Nancy Kerrigan? No. No? no. I find that Tanya Harding to believe. <laughs> Come on, that, that was, was like- a reach. Eight and a half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bobby doesn't even give you a whole point for that one. <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine. You know, the other day we were, um, my, my dad was laughing yeah. at this whole thing that happened to me and we were leaving, um, Diana message. And I said, my dad's got a message he wants to leave for you. And, and he said, you know, die, 
if one more thing happens to this girl this year, it's just going to be like one of my racehorses where you just put put a bullet in him and put him down. Wow. And he just made me laugh. It was he, he's being funny, right? Of course. Um, of course. And we were just laughing our butts off. And I think laughter is the best medicine when weird things happen. Absolutely. Um, I can just hear it now. I love your dad, by the way. I've had an opportunity to have have dinner with him uh, twice, and he's incredible. Um, but I would just imagine when he was young, every time you guys would mess up and he would just be like, euthanasia, <laughs> euthanasia, <laughs> this answer is euthanasia. That's what we're, how we're dealing with you today. No, he's like, what? he's like, it's just like putting a horse down. I'm like, really, really? <laughs> my goodness. My goodness. I don't my think we could fix my knee with um, a bullet though. That's no. Not, no. No, no, but it depends on where the bullet was placed. Because if it was square in the forehead, I think it would be fine. Because you wouldn't have a, <laughs> you wouldn't have a broken kneecap because you would be deceased, right? So um, that wouldn't be very fun. No, it'd be terrible. But you know, <laughs> at least the pain would be gone. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, <laughs> this is dark. It's getting dark. Yeah, <laughs> um, guys, put your title questions in the chat because I'm going down a dark path here. Okay, and, I'm gonna share my slides. Um, share your slides. Yeah, let's share. Let's share my slides. Let's go down a happy path. Happy path. So when you when you when you did fall in the rain, would you say that you 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 made a slide? <laughs> I mean, if there's probably a video on this, I think there was no slide. It was more like, uh, it was a pretty good fall. I'd say it was a pretty good fall. I, I, I wish I had that on camera. Is there, is there security yeah. footage anywhere that, where did this happen? And, and who could I pay to get security footage? I know, no. I know, right? Um, let me see if this is working. Oh, did you hear Bobby? He said, we need to see it. We need to see it. Yes, we do need to see don't, it. Don't. Um, well, it was one don't of those. I mean, first in one hand, I'm talking on my phone in the other hand. It was not a glamorous situation. It but, needs to be worse than mine. <laughs> oh, that's but it was okay. definitely not that glamorous. Okay. Wow. Okay. So in inventory is still historically low. Yes. Uh, this is what we know. Um, and uh, uh, this data said, what does it say? What is it telling us? So this is talking about as of February 16th, which was just a few days ago, um, we're comparing the same week of 2023 to right now compared to 2019. So we were down 40% in 2019. So imagine pre-pandemic versus where we're at a year ago. So we are still at historic lows as far as inventory goes. So just kind of like a reminder as far as our inventory is very tight nationwide. Um, this is not a local stat. This is a nationwide stat. Um, we were also talking about nationwide, um, you know, foreclosures and how the foreclosure activity, it has increased from 2022, but it's still way below the norm. I mean, look at this 20, 2010, we were at 2.9 million. I mean, we're, when we, there was a moratorium on um, foreclosures in 2020 and 2021, I mean, we're, we're not much higher than that right now. Yeah. So that's interesting, right? Because, you know, it's really funny. I love, I love, I love when I'm right. Because I, I was one of the few that wasn't saying, um, oh my goodness, guys, 
the pandemic is that when we lift the moratorium on on evictions or on foreclosures, there's going to be a wave of foreclosures. There were so many people talking about this, the tidal wave of foreclosures that was going to come to the market. And I was like, what are you talking about? How? How, how are you first where and how do you expect this to happen, given the fact that so many people have equity in their homes? Tremendous well, that's the biggest of piece right now, right? right? It's the equity piece. I mean, I think the reason the numbers were so high before, you know, when we're looking at 2015, there nobody had equity. And so that's that is the driving force that's keeping foreclosures out because if somebody is in trouble, say they're 3 months behind on their on their payment, they're not going to foreclose on that property, they're going to sell their house to Jamil. Right. right? Because because that's how it, you know, you're not going to you're not going to leave your equity in the house and let it foreclose and just be a uh, you know, a dodo bird. No, you're going to sell your house to the highest cash offer and you're going to get out of your situation and move on. And you're going to make a ton of money on the appreciation in your property in the meantime, just because you're in foreclosure doesn't mean that you get to forfeit or you have to forfeit your equity. That's not how it works. And so well, that's just- why everybody can win in a market like we're in today, right? Correct. You're helping solve somebody's problem. You are getting them out of a situation that they they obviously don't want to live in their house for whatever reason. They have some equity. You can make money. They can make money. Everybody can move forward. And the inventory is now going to be on the market. Bobby had a great question. You should type it and put it in the chat, but you can't come in because you're going to have, it's going to be like me asking a question. Oh, that's true. Um, but Bobby asked, uh, why do so many people have equity now? And it's, it's um, because we've seen the appreciation has been, has been record breaking, right? Bob, when you look at where pricing was uh, after the crash, right? So if we look at 2010, which I would call the approximate bottom of the market, right? 2010, 2011 was the bottom of the market. Um, many people, ha- you mm-hmm. know, foreclosed and and lost their homes or short whatever. Short sold, short sold, whatever it was that got them out of their properties. When you take a look at the number of people who then re-entered the market after that, and let's call that time 2015 to 2017, all of those people had a dramatic increase in equity in their properties, especially during the boom of the pandemic, right? And so we've got this huge pot of gold that most homeowners are sitting on right now which is helping them a with you know inflation problems that we've had it's helping them with cost of living situations that have all gone up it's helping them with any life stressors that are coming on up, you know into their world like death divorce sickness broken knees things, broken knees all these things <laughs> that typically make people or force people into a sales situation well, now at least they're walking away with money. They don't have to be foreclosed on, and it and it and it's and it's a great. It's I mean, it's a great saving grace for how many people, right? How many people uh, are going to be going through a tough situation who are going to be saved by the equity of their homes? It's it's, it's I have a great follow up if you guys are yeah. Down. Please. Uh, so equity, as I understand, is like how much money you've paid down your mortgage, right? And so if when your property appreciates, but you're paying the same amount, you end up with more equity than if it had depreciated over time or is your equity the same, but it's a different percentage. Well, no. I love your thought process in this. There's one teeny bit of a tweak. You want to tell them the tweak? No, go ahead. I, I want to hear where your thoughts are on it. Yeah. So your, your thought track is hundred percent on the same, on the right path, Bobby. It's, it's your equity is the amount of money that you paid for your home, right? Less what you owe. 
Um, so if your home is worth more now because it's appreciated in value and or because you've paid down your principal, your equity is going to be going up. Right. It and could be one or the other. The one th I think there was one correction in what you said. It's what your property is worth now minus what it's oh what you owe. What you so, owe, yes. Right. So so it's current value minus what you owe it. Not so much about what you paid for it, because you could have you could have paid X yeah. number of dollars and put a whole bunch of money down and you'd still have equity in the property because what you owe is lower. Yeah. Right. For instance, let's look at my LA property, right? I paid two million dollars for my LA property. Okay. Today it's worth two million dollars, maybe less, right? So it didn't it didn't appreciate at all, right? Um, but I put half a million dollars down on it. So I owe $1.5 million on the mortgage. Okay. So I've got equity of one and a half million dollars. My equity didn't go up at all. I've maybe paid down uh, 70 or a hundred thousand dollars in, in, um, principal pay down, maybe even less because of how the amortization schedule is. So, but yeah, equity is value minus debt. Dope. Yeah. I didn't know that, that it was like a math equation like that. I thought it was just a flat number of how much you've paid. It's regardless of how much it's worth, but that, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's why spikes in value like we've had during the pandemic in 2021 up to 2022 increase dramatically increase people's equity positions in their home. Because yeah. that's like that's the thing that none of us can really predict is how is the market going to affect my appreciation? Otherwise, if what you had just described is how it worked, then real estate would be predictable. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the most predictable thing because you'd be like, well, I paid this much. I paid this much every month. It's pretty linear. And da, 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 at the end of, you know, so long, I'm going to my equity is going to be this. But when you have this beautiful cyclical nature of the real estate market that is driven by supply, demand and fraud and many other governmental forces. You've got this complicated Mm -hmm. uh, web of uh, how how the real estate market uh, unfolds. And so well, it takes years and years and years before most mortgages allow you to pay down your principal. principal. Too. Right, right. So yeah, you and that's making a big payment every single month, but you may not see that depending on your type of mortgage for 25 years. Right, right. Hmm. My, For instance, like how much of my my $2 million you know, LA place. Yeah, I, I make a $9,800 payment every month on that house, right? How much of that actually goes to principal? hundred bucks. Um, maybe a thousand, maybe yeah, less. Where does the rest go? Interest. Because they make you uh. prepay all the interest. And that, bro, mortgages, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're scammy in how they Pretty do sneaky. the application because an amortization schedule works this way the majority of the money that i'm paying like it should just be equal across the table every month this much goes to equity this much goes to interest that would be like how it should be done that's what i think many of mm -hmm. us wish it was done it's not how it's done an amortization schedule has you prepaying all the interest that's going to be owed on that mortgage in the beginning and then at the end of the tail end of your mortgage is when you start paying down principal and why do banks do that because they know that the average American changes their house every seven years and they don't want you to pay down principal. They only want you to be paying interest. And so that's what a lot of people do, like principal only payments or interest only payments, because they know that a lot of it's not going to principal anyway. Exactly. exactly. Um, so that's, that's just yeah. the, how it works. Thank yeah. you guys. Of course. I, we've got some more great questions in here. Um, what's, uh, what is, oh, the difference? What, he was explaining the, uh, the adventures of Keith yeah. was explaining my question. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what is the, the CEO saying? 
Or that's not a question for us. Is it? No. It's, no, I don't think so. Uh, Monopoly okay. on money. I don't yeah. know. It's a it's just a statement. It's a statement there. But yeah, that's you know, essentially how this is this is playing out. Look at this, guys. Here's another thing that I think we should all um be paying attention to is uh how dramatically different these estimates are, right? So Zillow, uh, they they predicted a three and a half or three point one percent increase, CoreLogic 5.5, Black Knight 5.6, Freddie Mac 7. And then what was it really? So here we go. Uh, Goldman Sachs, um, uh, they, well, hold on. What, what was, there was another Zillow slide. Zillow before was 3.1. And then they go to what? 3.5. 3.5. Okay, so that's their current forecast. If you see um, NAR, NAR had predicted 0.7 uh, originally, and now they're more optimistic, thinking that we'll have a 1.9% of price appreciation. But guys, all of this is incredible because, at the end of the day, we see a net positive real estate market going into 2024. There is no signs of a, of a bubble bursting. So be very mindful of the social media accounts that you guys are following. Be very mindful of the people that are disseminating information out there because there's a lot of fear mongering for courses. There's a lot of fear mongering for, um, you know, you to to pay for this like secret thing that they know that nobody else knows at the end of the day, real estate is what it is. We, we, we all know what we need to do. We need to find opportunities. We need to get those opportunities at good prices. And then we need to be able to figure out what our exit strategy is going to be on that in order to realize our, our, our profit. And, and that's how you make money in real estate investing. Okay. Now, of course, there's going to be nuance in what lead generation strategy are you using? And maybe somebody's got like some, some really secret or really great strategy that they use, like me. I use agent outreach and I use AI to help me do that at scale. Okay, cool. Um, not everybody does that, right? Um, a lot of people started copying what I did uh, and what I teach, but they can't really do it the way that I do it because they're diluted versions of what I have always been doing and winning at, right? So, just be careful. I'm not telling you to only learn from me. Of course, that's not true. There's so many brilliant people out there. Um, I would say, you know, but do your homework, right? See what their track record is. You see how they're doing business currently. Are they currently wholesaling? Are they currently buying? You look at Pace Morby for that matter. You can check his social media and every other day, the guy's signing a HUD. Every other day, he's purchasing a house. He's a real real estate investor. So you can trust him. Because he's like, okay, he's actually doing the business, right? You come into my office and you see how many deals we're closing. You can see, okay, this guy's actually closing business. I'm here with the marketing person at my title company who if I wasn't doing business with them, she wouldn't be here right now. You know what I'm saying? So these are, these are realities just to keep in mind and be just mindful of the folks that you're getting your information from because there's an intention behind it sometimes and you want that intention to be for your benefit, not for theirs. Um, Jason Santiago said, I tried calling Fidelity National Title in and around Dallas, Texas for a foreclosure list. Anyone know companies in Dallas that will allow access to foreclosure lists? Yeah. So uh, you've got a, a tremendous resource in Texas that you could hook Jason up with for, for some yeah. data, right? Absolutely. So I'd reach out to Leanne. I just dropped her contact info in the chat for you, Jason. Leanne is a friend of the show. She was uh, who yeah. we had on Title Talk. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal escrow officer. She loves doing business with um, 
investors, you should go back and watch the episode that we did with her so you can get a feel for what she's like. She's a badass. She's an absolute badass. And I think that you'll uh, really enjoy doing business with her. But in addition to that, she's going to be a great resource for you as well. Yeah. And I'd say also just on your approach for that kind of stuff, guys, when you're calling just offices, because I, mean, I know this is the easiest barrier to entry, right? It's like you want to Google, okay, investor-friendly title company in, in Dallas, and you're going to come across a bunch of different websites. Well, what's going to happen is you're going to call their office and you're going to get oftentimes an assistant or, um, you know, you're not going to get their sales and marketing team who are versed in resources. Right. So. I would definitely, if you're going to make those phone calls, I would call and try to make an appointment with somebody on their sales and marketing team. Um, I would try to build a relationship with them. I wouldn't just call and start asking for stuff um, because on the mm. escrow side, they definitely are not going to necessarily have access to all of those marketing and sales resources and they may not know about them, right? So I would call and try to build a relationship with somebody on the sales and marketing side. I would try to meet them for coffee. I'd say, hey, can I can I buy a coffee? Can I um, you know, can I pick your brain for 15 minutes? When are you going to be in the office next week? I'd love to meet you in person. And and try to build a relationship. Imagine you know, this is somebody that, that you would want to be building a relationship with you. How, how would you want to be treated? Um, so some, oftentimes if you call and you just start asking for stuff and they don't have the answer, they might just tell you, sorry, they can't help you and, and turn you away. But if you approach it from a different perspective and you go into more of a relationship building mode, I think you're going to find yourself getting a lot further, a lot faster. I agree. I agree. And it's kind of like you, um, you, you imagine it like dating somebody, right? Ooh, uh, I love that topic. You got, you, you got to look at it like that. Cause if you, if you, if you get into it and like, okay, so let's just say for instance, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, wanting to, I just start talking to, uh, you know, a, a, a lady and right out the gate, I'm like, okay, Hey, uh, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Like, what's the likelihood of that person's going to feel like I'm in a relationship for good reasons or that I'm looking for a mutually beneficial relationship? Very low, right? They're like, this guy is just asking for stuff all the time. He just wants this or he just wants that. Or, you know, it's, it doesn't sound to me like this person really gives a crap about me. So you always got to like anthropomorphize things and make people, make businesses people. Think about them as like, what would it, what would I feel like if this was how I was being approached, right? Um, and then use that as your guiding light to how you should approach people. Put yourself in everybody's shoes and then have the conversation. And when you can do that and you can see how people, how you would respond to you in that circumstance, maybe you would absolutely change the, the wording. Or, you know, maybe you would start off with, hi, I'm Jason. I'm a, an investor. Um, you know, I do X number of transactions every month. I'm looking for a new title relationship. I'd love to understand what resources I might be uh, looking for or I might have access to if I brought my business to Fidelity. Would you mind introducing me to the person at your company that could help me understand that? Now, all of a sudden, you're like, okay, here's a person who means business. They've dangled the carrot of deals, and now I want to get that carrot, so I'm going to do what I've got to do to get the carrot, which is going to be give you the resources that I that you want. And so... Mutual benefit, mutual benefit. Everything has to be of mutual benefit. Otherwise, there's no reason for, you know, the relationship to exist. 
And at that point too, it's a great conversation for you to say, hey, I'd love for you guys to look over my entity docs so that when I have the ability to bring you my next deal, I'm all set up in your system, right? That is you are speaking their language. Um, you're fast tracking your success to being able to closing transactions with that title company. And everybody's off to the races in a really good place. Agreed. Um, sorry about that. So yeah, that's uh, ooh, what's this saying? Okay, so oh, sorry, I thought that was a new table. I love, I love data, but you kind of took it away. Oh, sorry, away. sorry. There's one more. I've got one more table. Please, one more table. We're mm. talking about rates. So originally, we started the conversation talking about how in Canada, every mortgage has a point where it is going to adjust five years which is, is what got us on this topic absolutely and so you know looking at that um i think you know one of the advantages especially of understanding uh mortgage rates and, and you know all of that if you see this right now right they're forecasting that by january of 2024 q4 of 2024 will be at a rate of 5.8 I think it might be even a little lower by then. I um, hope but, it is. But if we're at 5.8, right, the gap from four and a half to 5.8 is not very high. And that's going to mean that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to make that decision to sell that property because they're finally in a spot right now where um, it makes sense. And they're not going to lose as much as they had initially thought they were going to lose by trading into a higher rate mortgage. So, you know, these these things are really important to keep in mind as we navigate the next year, um, especially if you're wholesaling, especially if you're fixing and flipping and if you are uh, doing any quick exit strategies. Now, on the flip side of this, I've been uh, running my pad split model, which, my, man, you know, they just, you know, they're sitting at 99% occupancy right now in Phoenix. Which is crazy. I mean, it's amazing. It is uh, amazing. It just means we have an affordability issue too, in my opinion. Um, we do, we do. Um, but you know, as an investor investing in this model, I think that everybody who's watching this right now needs to understand the metrics behind co-living and whether or not, guys. First, I'd love for I'd love to help you guys get a relationship with PadSplit. So, if you have, uh, if you'd like to to connect with somebody there, do we have a, a place for? Do we have a, a link for them by chance for that? If they want to, if they want to work or talk to somebody at Pat's, but Bobby's going to look for that. But here's oh, why it's important. So, if you're wholesaling right now, and your fix and flip numbers are tight, right? Let's just say, for instance, you're in a deal; it's a little tight, but you know that Pat splits in this market, and you know that Pat splits at like 95% occupancy, and you understand their, you know, dollar per week rental amounts. You can give somebody a performa that can show the cash on cash return of investing in this property using a co-living model. I purposely overpaid for a property earlier last year so that I could see if the pad split model would actually work as a viable investment. Now, right now, my cash on cash return on that property is the highest I've seen in any deal I've ever done, ever, mm. ever. Uh, so, uh, you know, in addition to getting depreciation, which is going to save me on taxes, I'm getting mortgage pay down, which is incredible because the tenants are paying my mortgage. In addition to that, I'm cash flowing 
I'm on a hard money loan on that property at $1,500 a month. And right now my monthly cash flow is like 5,000 bucks on a hard money loan. That's so, crazy. It, I mean, honestly, Dina, it is nuts. Let's just, let me, let me just work the math out for you guys. So $100,000 in the renovation. Okay, guys, I had to put $20,000 down to purchase the house. And okay? this is the one that he overpaid for. I remember. overpaid. I overpaid. Okay. So I'm into the house for $120,000 cash. Okay. Right now it's after, after um, mortgage, after I pay the mortgage, it's cash flowing around $3,800 a month. Multiply that by 12. That gives me $45,600. Okay. Um, divide that by the $120,000 that I'm in to it for. That's a 38% return. 38% return. What you guys tell me what Ponzi scheme is giving away 38% ROI cash on cash. Where, where doesn't exist. It does not exist. So if you can present a deal to your cash investor that can give them a 38% cash on cash return, smart money is going to listen to what you have to say. Truly they will because you are speaking their numbers. You're speaking the, the, the language of mathematics. And anybody that's an investor wants to hear that you understand the language of math. And if you do, amazing. Guys, if you want to learn more about the co-living model so that you can give better performance to your investors on your wholesale deals, right over there is a link in the chat. Click on it. Have a conversation with um, uh, the people at PadSplit and find out the occupancy rate in your town. Find out what the, the average room uh, per week rent rate is in your town and start working up and then find out where the majority of their properties are clustered. Um, for instance, I can't do a co-living model in my, in my neighborhood over here. It would never work, but co-living models work really well in the West side. They work really well in the South side. They, they don't work really well. great near colleges. Correct. Correct. So these are just really important things to think about as you are um, presenting your opportunities to your potential buyers. And actually, if you guys are local, PadSplit does a meetup every single month. The next one is next week on the 28th. Um, it is in Tempe at uh, Four Peaks Brewery next uh, the 28th, I believe, which is next Thursday at like six o'clock. You can just show up in Tempe and uh, go make some friends. I would highly encourage you to do that. Yes. And uh, also, they're paying for beer. Yeah. So why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you want that? Bruise. Bruise. Deals. Like <laughs> Boo. Hey, hey, hey. Bruises. Oh. <laughs> I will say I'm pretty pleased that it's now, it's only like four times larger than my other knee. So I'm happy the swelling so, is going down. So it, 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 it did grow like your knee grew in size when that happened. It, oh my gosh. And you waited a day to go to the hospital. Yes, because I mean, it was like at night and I'm like, it can't be that bad. And then I'm like the next morning, I'm like, it doesn't look that good. I probably should go see somebody. And then they were like, oh, you broke it really good. I'm like, well, is, is Did that you walk on it getting yeah. to that appointment? Uh-huh. I drove myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Man, she is a badass. <laughs> like for honestly, like I, I am such a baby. So <gasps> I just want to talk injuries. Look at my thumb. What'd you do? So you know how like most um, businesses these days, yeah, check this out, right? So you know how um, 
have you ever bought something from from Walmart or Target or something, and you go to open it and then they've zip tied the entire effing product to the yeah. mm -hmm. cardboard? Like, okay, how is it that I can rip through the cardboard before you get the zip ties before off? I can get the zip ties off. Anyhow, yeah. so I don't understand the logic behind all these zip ties, but it's happened. Now, as I was walking, I. I <clears throat> Why I was even doing this is I, I rented an apartment in Canada where my daughter lives because I made a commitment to my kid. Was this the beanbag stuffing incident? No, I, this is separate. Okay. Um, I, I made a commitment that I was going to spend a week in uh, with her every month um, until she's, you know, um, 18 years old. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and spend a week with her every month. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, just so we can do dad stuff, right? And um, that's awesome. She, she's fourteen. She needs she needs more dad in her life. It, previously, we would see we each other do. like three, four times a year. Um, and so, like, this is just gonna take it to the next level. I I I, I have to show up for my child. And so, for you. I um, of course, I don't need to be clapped. I just I just it's what it is. That's it's important to do that, right? So, um, anyhow, I'm trying to I'm trying to free the cutlery from its bondage of zip ties. And uh, I'm 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 using a knife to get, you know. So this the, is an apartment that you're renting on a permanent basis, so you can spend a month, a week, a month with her. Correct. Got it. Cool. cool. Okay, it makes sense. That's why you have to have real knives. Yeah, that's why I was had to have real knives. And so we just this weekend we went shopping for, or the last week we went shopping and bought all our furniture. We bought dishes, coffee maker. You know, we, new beds. Like we just went and you had to furnish, basically furnish a new home, yeah. right? And so, um, and so we needed cutlery. And so here I am, like trying to get the cutlery out of its bondage. And like I'm, I'm using a knife to do it, and it just snapped, and it went right through, and it oh. stabbed me right in the finger, and and it was bloody, like it was terribly bloody. And now here's, I want you to picture this, okay? It's me, bloody fingers. In, with like blood squirting out of my thumb. And the only person that's in my house right now is the delivery person from Ashley furniture who's putting <laughs> together my couch. And now I'm like asking for help. I need, I need emergency triage in this man who is like, his job is not to be a nurse. His job is to put together furniture. He's like, Whoa, uh, I'm like, I need help, man. I'm caught pretty bad. It's squirting out of my hand. And he's like, what do I do? I'm like, I got band-aids over here. And so he's like, he's looking for band-aids. There's blood all over the place. It's like a biohazard situation. He could have refused, but he didn't. Um, he went and got me my band-aids and then like, you know, he turned on the water and I'm washing it and I'm trying to apply pressure. And it was this whole thing. Anyways, we're best friends now. And, uh, uh you are. the thing about Canada is that they don't have urgent care in Canada. There's no such thing. And, uh, they only have, uh, walk-in like doctor's offices where you can't get emergency stitches or anything like that. And then hospitals. And so I, I would have had to have gone to a hospital and waited like 14 hours to see a doctor I'll to forget get forget about it. Yeah. So then I just ended up on the plane. I came home and I'm on a plane with this bloody finger. It's like all wrapped up and there's just blood like seeping through the wrapping and there's bandages, but it just won't stop. It won't clot. So anyhow, I, I, I landed, I went to an urgent care and got stitched up and I'm good to go. Uh, well, I went to like an orthopedic urgent care on Saturday after this happened. And then I got the x-rays and they told me, oh yeah, it's officially broken. And they put me in a brace and they said, oh, just wait till you can, you know, meet with the surgeon next week. And 
by Monday, my leg looked really funky. And I was like, I don't think I could wait. So I did go the ER route Monday night. And I sat there for half an, you know, like six hours. It was like half the evening. It was very boring. Um, And they just told me it was still broken. So I'm I'm with you on the skip and going to the hospital piece. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can get it done at urgent care. Get it done. But. Guys, this was a fun episode. You learned uh, a lot about the Canadian healthcare system. Um, and the mortgage system. Mortgage system. Uh, we talked about Dina's knee and amazing things about the real estate market and how to understand um, you know, what inventory levels are going to be doing, how they're going to be uh, behaving in the next year, how mortgage rates are predicted to move into the next year, uh, and how you can take advantage of that. Uh, they let they did let me on a plane like that. Yeah, it was it was um, shocking, um, but they did. Uh, they they know I needed uh, to get home. <laughs> and now you're home for just a few days, and then you're off on the next adventure. And I can't wait till the next episode. We're going to hear about your next adventure. Yeah, I'm heading to a meditation retreat in a couple of days to Cancun. I was been told it's called Cancun. I'm not supposed to say Cancun. I'm supposed oh. to say Cancun. I'm going to Cancun uh, for a week. Um, for those of you that are familiar with who Joe Dispenza is, I'm going to a Joe Dispenza meditation retreat for seven days. I am where, so where, excited for you. Yeah, it's cool, man. I'm, you know, when you go to these things, you're literally, you meditate for like 50 hours for the whole week. It's like, it's intense. It's really hard work, but it's really enlightening. And so I'm, yeah. um, I'm excited to do that, uh, and uh, I'm happy to share with you guys the insights that I gained while I was there. But Tina, I love you so much. I hope love you have. Uh, I I love you. I hope I hope your knee uh, does well. I hope that all all the things in your life are are incredible. And uh, we're just so grateful to have had you on today's episode. And she showed up, guys, in pain. All the things they couldn't stop her. Look at her. She even no way, she man. Got all dressed up. She looks fantastic. You're awesome, guys. And do us a favor. Um, If you liked our episode and you like Title Talk, like this episode on YouTube right now. Don't be lazy. Just use your fingers. Give it a little love. Give it a love. Yeah, a little like. A little likey-like is really helpful. Share with your friends. Yes. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. It helps us extremely Um, And it just allows us to do and create more incredible content for you guys. And we'll be back in two weeks. We're going to hear all about my knee surgery. And we're going to hear about the Joe Dispenza meditation retreat and all kinds of things, title and real estate related. Guys, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you so much and uh, look forward to seeing you on the next one. Later.